Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by DemandWell. DemandWell is the best SEO solution for B2B SaaS marketers. They've helped customers like Lessonly drive 40% of their revenue from organic search, and they help Terminus make organic search their number one source of demos. Here's how it works. Number one is results. Demandwell is built for driving the outcomes that B2B marketers care about. Demand, traffic, leads, and revenue. Number two is ease and control. Junior team members can follow recommended steps right in the platform, while experts can customize and maintain full control over their work. Number three is speed. With everything in one platform, Demandwell helps you crank out content that ranks and drives leads in minutes rather than hours. SEO expert or not, you can give Demandwell a try and listeners of the Exit 5 podcast can get a free competitive SEO audit to see just how you're ranking relative to the competition. Go to demandwell.com backslash FOMO, that's F-O-M-O, and you can get a free SEO consultation today right from Demandwell, that's demandwell.com backslash FOMO, F-O-M-O, and you'll get a free SEO consultation today. One, two, three, four, exit. 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 All right, Palash is here. What's up, my friend? Doing well, TG. Just another busy day, but excited about the journey. <laughs> so background you're not a b2b marketer but you've you're building a company in the in the b2b marketing space and uh full disclosure palash and i are working closely together goldcast is one of my first clients companies that I, that I started working with when i went out on my own in january and i was actually was thinking about this yesterday right now we're just starting to have some like the most productive and best conversations and it's just been it's been cool getting to know you just really quickly, like, what is your reaction to some of the stuff that we talk about from a marketing perspective? Like, what's one or two takeaways that you think like other marketers might get value? We don't have to tell them like what we talk about, but just in yeah. our conversation so far as a CEO, like, what's changed about your perspective or or anything? Yeah, I think a couple of things I took out as like high level themes from our conversations that have been really, I would say, game changing for us, right? In the last few few weeks is one is I think the best marketers are very strong first principle thinkers, right? It's very easy to 
get lost in MQLs and SQLs. And it's a, it's a complex jungle of, of things, right, that you could always get lost into. And I think what that does is getting lost there breeds incrementality and you kind of lose sight of who the customer is and what do they want. And the ability to think big is, is tiny if we get into that. So I think that is one thing that I got out of it, DJ, like being very first principle and thinking simple. And that's hard. <laughs> I love that. I just wrote that. I just wrote that down. I, I actually just made a video about this for, for the Exit 5 TikTok. But like when I do podcast oh. interviews, I like to write down things in the moment that I think will be like good clips later just because it makes it easier. But I think what you said is so important, like first principles thinking. And I, I'm now just like spitting this back to like, you know, working with you. But I realized like this is what I got drilled into my head at, at Drift working with David and Elias there. Like they were building a MarTech company in the MarTech space. But I think what was so great about their approach is like, they just had this confidence that was like, we don't care about the traditional names or metrics or anything. Like if you learn about business and you learn about what it takes to get somebody to buy from you, typically, you know, you're selling a 20, 30 K annual thing, like Goldcast, for yeah. example, right? Uh, what does it take? And I think some, we do get caught up so much in the weeds. And I used to think like that, like when I was in my late twenties, like just marketing manager, Dave, I used to become obsessed with like studying every acronym and like, you know, <laughs> downloading every analyst report. And, and I'm not saying that's not important. I think it's wise to like pick stuff from that. But I think the way you framed it is so perfect. It's like the ability to just like take a step back and simplify things and understand like some of the first principles for decision-making. Yeah, exactly. This, that's been, I think, my biggest sort of learning working with you in the last few weeks. Like, I got a bunch of good little nuggets from a secret, a secret source. And I have a bunch of things that I want to get into and ask, and we'll, we'll talk about what you've learned with Goldcast and everything. But uh, first, is this true or false? You lived in a one-bedroom place with four people, your wife, your baby, your mother-in-law for two years while starting Goldcast. Is that that's true? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. It was crazy. You don't, you don't have nearly enough. You have too much hair and not enough gray hairs for having gone through that. <laughs> I know. I know. I cannot do that again, but it was probably, I think that was the time that it was pretty challenging because we were just taking off. It was COVID. You know, I, I knew not much about, you know, thriving and living in the US, but probably also the happiest time of one of the happiest time of my life. <laughs> Wait, can you give the background on uh, like what Goldcast is now and then kind of just like your journey? Like you, you guys came out of HBS. Did you start, did you have the idea for Goldcast pre-COVID? Like, was that already a thing? Yeah, DJ, great question. So actually you are also part of the story a little bit and I can tell you about, about the pre-story right before and how we came to Goldcast very quickly. So I started my life in, in manufacturing, right? So I was a technical guy, but different kind of tech, right? Like manufacturing, chemical engineering, machines. And what I realized spending three years there in that CPG firm is that I can do whatever, but I cannot change the trajectory of the company because it's a marketing-driven company. Right? So I built a pretty heavy fascination for marketing at that time, and I didn't understand it as an engineer. So my next step was at this company called Inmobi, which was an ad tech, martech company, right? So I got exposure to how tech influences marketing. And this was 2015 when the movement of dollars from billboards and TV to digital was at its peak, right? So I saw that and it was pretty fascinating. And what I realized over time is that marketing always goes through this shift, right? There's a new medium of marketing, all existing mediums get disrupted because of technology. And that happens every, every few years. So those are the themes that I took with me when I came to business school, right? And we have this thing called 
start a boot camp. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we had that as a forcing function. Kishore and I got together, you know, when we were initially in business school and Kishore's consultant by background, right? So he was leaning on me to say, okay, let's point us to a few spaces, you know, where a tech business can be built. And we were always looking at MarTech because of this like insight, right? Okay. You know, there is going to be some medium that can be significantly changed by tech. So we had a couple of ideas going into start a bootcamp. And one of them was how can we build a CRM of sorts or something of a, some kind of a thin CRM, which can give insights on events, help event marketers figure out how effective their events are and what is the impact on the bottom line? Because that's an answer most people in events struggle to give. And the amount of money that was going in events was not commensurate to the kind of you know, measurability that you were go getting from events. So we started with that. And I think the session with you at that time in, you know, in the big HBS hall, that was pretty impactful because we got to learn about marketing a lot and how important something like this, the brand storytelling, et cetera, is for a company. So we started leaning in towards that idea. And when COVID hit, we realized we have the opportunity to build not only just the intelligence layer for the event, but own the event as well. So that's like the the quick Genesis story. <laughs> and so for people who don't know, today you have today basically you've you've morphed into this full-blown digital events platform. You can do webinars, yeah. you can do virtual events. We've done yeah. a bunch of live sessions, Exit Five. Yeah. I know uh other companies that I know like uh, metadata are are using you. But what was the initial like when you said that you I'm just interested in this insight about events, because yeah. like People measure events, they look at sales directly. Like what was the flaw in how marketers were were measuring events or like why do you think why were they struggling to measure the impact of those things? I think there is there are two parts to it. One is understanding what and how to measure, right? And how events actually impact the company's like go-to-market motion, right? And and what we realize is that the process of doing events itself is so complex and putting them together is so complex that event folks will generally deprioritize that part. And so you could do a great event, but if it doesn't fit with your company's go-to-market strategy, it doesn't align with what you know the company wants, that is no good. The other is just having the tooling and the abilities to measure what has happened, right? So for instance, like one thing we realize is a simple insight that a lot of marketers, event marketers didn't even know how many prospects versus customers attended their events or like what is the part of the funnel that they impact and then there are all sorts of like challenges working with Salesforce, getting this data from their system into Salesforce and, and just answering some of those basic questions. So we realized that this is, you know, just we could build products that can help solve this problem, make it like super easy and insightful and add a lot of value to event marketers without having them go through all of this while they can focus on doing what they are best at, which is like putting together a great experience. I think events are hard because it's like something that there is a lot of value in doing, but like if you only try to measure events by direct sales, like yeah. we did this event and then we booked X dollars in pipeline, like that's kind of yeah. like what we default to. Yeah. But then like I've made the mistake of like, well, that might not necessarily have been the goal of the event. Like typically, and like I see this happen, like, and you you probably see this too, like a lot of companies in our space, they'll do these very like, inspirational type of events 
and then try to like connect that to pipeline. But it's like, that's not the right offer that matches. And so I think there's so much nuance in like the type of events. For example, like I, I've done like at Drift, we did like a customer dinner in San Francisco with yeah. 10 customers and yeah. the value and insights that we got from that customer dinner and like the referrals and like product ideas and marketing ideas, it's like also tough to quantify that. And so it's like, yeah. well, we spent 20 grand on this dinner or whatever. Uh, yeah. And that's a made up number. Don't judge me on that, <laughs> on that price. Actually, it was definitely not 20 grand if I know what yeah. I know. Um, it's hard to quantify that. And so like, I think you're also in an interesting space now because there's definitely like a, a brand affinity, like brand awareness play that I think is really powerful from events. The yeah. old school way used to be like, do an event or a webinar, give all yeah. the leads to the sales team. <laughs> they try to follow up and that's how it works. But like, we're seeing so many more companies use events as a way to like, just build relationships and, and further yeah. the affinity for someone. And it's like, the question yeah. becomes, well, how do you measure that down the road? Yeah, that's a great point, DG. And this is one of the things that we have learned and internalized also after we like saw, pulled this one thread of, how to tie results with events, right? That events primarily more so today are more of a vehicle for marketers to tell their story, right? They build a connection uh, with their audience, between their audience and the brand. And this can be done in many ways, right? Through you know, thought leadership events, or you could do small field events, whatever. But ultimately it's events would be that vehicle that can help you build that connection. And that connection has to come first. The experience has to come first before the pipeline impact would come either close or, or down the line. So yeah, that's, uh, I would say, pretty obvious, but one learning that that was not obvious for us, not not being marketers ourselves. You also mentioned this uh, like event planner versus event marketer. Yeah. <laughs> as a CMO, as a former CMO, like head of marketing, yeah, I've struggled with events because I think events can often be like the best demand gen revenue type channel and they need to be run at a in an operational programmatic way but yeah. then typically the person who's going to like create the event and run that experience is not that person i've struggled with like the difference between where you need an event planner versus where you need an event marketer or events being part of the demand can you talk about like what what you all are seeing with with your customers yeah, Adiji, I can talk about it. And this is also obviously coming from speaking with who we consider like the top notch of event marketers, right? Who is the top notch <laughs> of event marketers? At least that, the, the companies that you talk to, like who are you shouting out? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, some of the people that we look up to, one is Salary from Zendesk, right? She's, she's amazing. We have learned a lot from her. Lindsay from Pendo, she is also like a, like a great event marketer. Natalia from Attentive. I think one of the things that they do really well and that really separates event marketers from planners. And I'll tell you why they both cannot coexist as well in a company. But one of the things they do great is they are very aware of what the company's go-to-market motion looks like, what it needs to take, right? They are very in sync with what the CMO's goals are and what their counterparts in sales and product and what their goals are, right? So you could occupy yourself doing events and doing events themselves is a challenge in, in and of its own and putting together an experience. But how does that experience actually impact my further the goal of my CMO or the company's go-to-market motion is that having that connection is something that cannot be done in silo by say a demand gen person and be handed over to an event planner to execute. So the event marketer has to be like a full stack person who can think about the experience and how it helps the company, but also execute that and then Close the loop. I think that's the difference between to me, like 
not everybody has to go like the marketing leader track. You can definitely be yeah. an individual contributor forever, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm now someone who has no team and I don't plan on having yeah. a team forever. But on that point about the, uh, this is true for any role, I think. Yeah. The more you can understand what are we trying to achieve as a marketing team to help the business and then being able yes. to like relate that to why are we doing this event? I just, yeah. I do see so many times we just get in the, we get on the rhythm of like, we're just doing stuff. Yeah, we had an yeah. idea for an event <laughs> and so we're doing it. We had an idea for a podcast and so we're doing it versus like, yeah. Back to what you mentioned in the beginning about first principles thinking, the more you can understand the overall marketing strategy. And I think yeah. I've been lucky to be at like a company, for example, like at Drift in the early yeah. days, David Cancel, the founder and CEO, like he was adamant about like, I want to do events. He had a belief. And so that made it yeah. easier for us to do events. It wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah let's try this channel. He was like, yeah. <laughs> I believe events are powerful because what we're trying to do as a company strategically is not just sell marketing software, but we want to build a brand. We yes. want to build a brand. We want to get people to know, like, and trust us. And he believed, because he went to events and saw it at other companies, HubSpot, et cetera, that holy shit, events are an amazing way to do that. And it's not easy to quantify, but it made my life so much easier. And the rest of the team was like, we didn't have to judge like the hardcore ROI of doing that because yeah. he believed that like, there's so much value in that. And so like, there's value in the relationships, the footage, the photography from a brand yeah. and like perception standpoint, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also in like getting eight to 10 hours of content from that event, that's videos, that's clips, that's podcasts. And I think when you have a philosophy like that, it makes life so yeah. much easier as opposed to like, we're just testing random channels. Like they, they he believed yeah. in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the it was successful for you guys because you guys had a, still had a strategy behind it, right? Like you wanted to make a splash, build a big brand. And we have seen that marketers, like the best event marketers are agile about what they do, right? They're not always just thinking about their big user conference because it might not, it definitely does work for Splash, right? Given how the company is and very heavy on storytelling, but not true for every company. Sometimes you might be better off just doing like 20 small field events instead of, you know, doing that one big user conference. Having that understanding is very key and it's it's actually challenging. It's challenging to, to have that clarity while also being very good at, executing events. <laughs> Not to like pivot, I have other stuff, but um, what about from an actual marketing, like as the CEO of a SaaS company, how do you articulate like what your marketing strategy is and how you see the role of marketing as a B2B SaaS CEO? Yeah, <laughs> great question, DJ. It's a, a vast question. I think it depends on the stage and I have, we have, we have transcended a couple of stages, so it, it has changed. I think very initially, right, which is from say zero to 2 million kind of stage, we were just very tactical in our approach, right? We had, we always had this big vision, right? That we want to become a core part of the go-to-market stack and, you know, become power the event marketing as a channel. But we knew that we have this one opportunity, right? Which is virtual events right now, we have to go after it. So it was a lot of tactical demand and initially, right? Initial days. So we had a pretty small team. You just go and do that and we grew because of that. I think right now we are at a stage where we have a we have brand affinity, people, we have channels where we can talk to people. Now we are actually trying to pioneer the message of or that person of event marketer, right? That the event people in the team, they hold the key to the company's story and how it's told to people in an engaging way, in a scalable way, which you cannot do via emails, right? Or ads. And so the event marketer has that onus to do that and also drive results for the company. And then the future, I would say feed, it would be the future feeder for to CMO roles and VP roles, right? So that's the like the high level message 
that we are trying to say. And we always keep on discussing that. Now, if you look at this, this is not necessarily directly related to the Coldcast product, right? We sell to event marketers, yes, but we don't do a lot of things that they do, but we still, like, we are driven by that message. So our marketing goal is to kind of build an affinity around that persona, kind of try to build content and say things that have to understand that they have a very important role to play in this decade in marketing and not necessarily directly related to what Coldcast is doing. What you explained is like, when I talk about don't build a marketing team, be to build a media company, media or, company yeah. or build an audience, that's exactly how I think I would execute on that, which is like, yeah. and you don't have to do it this way. There's lots of marketing strategies, but like yeah. this is a bet that you're taking. And I think this yeah. is like what Gong did in the early days. They basically built a mini brand around salespeople and it wasn't to sell them their product directly, but it was like news, information, research, education, entertainment, for salespeople. As a result, yeah. they built an audience of salespeople. They start to build affinity yeah. within salespeople. Then when they have something to sell them, it makes it easier, right? HubSpot yeah. did the same thing, which is like they kind of put content marketers on the map and kind of said like, <laughs> you know, you drive revenue, you do marketing that people love. And so what, what you're doing is like placing a bet on like, let's win with education and entertainment for event marketers while we're also building the product for them behind the scenes. Absolutely. That's the plan. What's happening right now with event marketers and, and budgets? Like I ask a bunch of questions in the Exit 5 community and it seems like I would say majority of people in there have not cut budget, but there obviously yeah. are budget cuts and layoffs happening at companies because we're seeing it every day. What are you seeing with Goldcast and like how people are buying and what's happening with events today? That's a great question, EG. So that are Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This becomes the silent nightmare for us marketers. You often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about it. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more booked pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over to apollo.io slash e5 apollo.io slash e5 right now and book a meeting with their team to get set up and as a thank you for your time they will give you a free annual exit five membership for booking a meeting that's valued at 275 dollars go check them out apollo.io slash e5 a few things that we are seeing right there's obviously companies are more cautious about spending money right and what we see in our case is that because our customer concentration is a lot in growth stage, well-funded VC-backed companies, right? They still have a lot of growth goals to hit, right? So they have not completely pushed the brakes on marketing, like what would happen in a typical recession where, say, the entire marketing team has been let go. So they're still investing in marketing. They have become a lot more cautious. So while there is headwinds because of budget cuts, there's a tailwind also we are seeing that companies are now weighing, saying, okay, do I do like this $2 million in-person conference in Vegas for 500 people or should I do 
digital events which have really up-leveled in the last two years and can provide a different kind of experience, but a great experience and reach and incur a lot less cost while we can probably spend the rest of the money in, say, smaller, more intimate in-person field events with higher value audience. So that's one tailwind that we are seeing that many companies are also going back to digital. It's not like en masse like COVID, but still a thing that's happening. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. Or even uh, I'm seeing more more people like in the past, they might have only done in-person and now they're doing in-person with a virtual component of it. So digital events, more people are doing digital events. Yeah. One of the things that I struggle with sometimes is like, how do you get people to show up for that, right? Because <laughs> I do think it, sometimes it becomes a game of like, well, I don't want to go to this thing. Like when you're going to go in person, you're, you know, you're buying a plane ticket. I'm there. I'm going to be in Chicago. Like I'm, I'm going, once I buy that ticket, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. But with a, with a digital event, you know, something can come up. What do you see your customers doing? Or like, how do you drive that to be like, look, you should go to this event. Even it, it's not just like a webinar and we're going to send you the recording after. Like how do you, how do companies do that well? That would be amazing advice if we're able to like <laughs> share some of that for people. Because I think it's not just like, hey, do an online thing and then after everybody's going to get the recordings. Like, How do you make the live component actually happen? Great question, DG. And this is, again, some of the learnings that we have had working with great event marketers, right? So, And that's where I think the, the event marketer DNA shines a lot, right? We have seen many ways in which people, I think, crush it, but making people attend is ultimately like, goes back to that first principle thinking of what would they want the most, right? So for instance, we look at Zendesk's events, right? And they have a huge attendance in their in their virtual events, in their digital events. And, and what they do is they always like tailor the message to what is current and what people will be looking for most, right? For instance, today, right now, they are going heavy on things that impact retention. Right. And that's a question that's top of mind for everyone, right? Every customer leader, post sales leader is thinking about attention now more than before, where it was more growth, right? So I think having that kind of very, very deep understanding of what your customers are facing as problems today, that is going to attract people the most. The second, I think, is you can also put a live experience angle to the event itself, which is much, much more than what recording could ever be. So for instance, Attentive, if you look at their events, right, they have, they always have a round table with, you know, the two speakers, they will do a round table just after the event where say 30 people would gather and ask questions and just discuss live. And so you can always add those kind of angles, which give, which you cannot get in a recording that you can get in a live uh, session, but those are more tactical. But I think just tailoring, being very, very thoughtful in what the content is and what people are going to get in the live event and how it's going to help them is the key. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so it, it is way more fun. There's a certain element of like the people that show up on a live event, like when yep. things are happening in the chat and when people are coming up on stage and asking questions, I think that's like you feel why oh this is better than just watching this live. And so I think like if you can be smart about like building in ways, like I guess one the easiest way would be like we're not sending this video out to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you only get it if you register, but the the marketer and content person in me is like, well, that also then dramatically is going to diminish who who's going to be able to see this message. I want more people to see it. So there's like a trade-off with that. But I think if you can build hooks in for like engagement or 
is there some type of thing that's, that is only going to happen on this? And it could be, you know, show, I think you got to do more than just like show people the experience. Like, yeah, because you could get your questions asked in chat or you could not, yeah. you could sit on there for 40 minutes and we never raise yeah. your hand. <laughs> so I think like building those things in, it's almost like thinking about in person, like, well, what are we going to do to get people to our, to our trade show booth at an <laughs> event, right? It's like not enough to just have a booth. Like, yeah. how are we going to get people there? And I feel like that is a, that's a strategy. I mean, that's a talent, like to think as a team, like, what is the hook? We just go and make stuff. And it's like, well, did we even think about what the hook is this? Like, we're like, let's, let's do an event in September. Great. And then all of a sudden we're off to the races with this event. And it's like, well, like what's the hook for this? I, we, we got to spend more time on that. Like that's where this stuff yeah. really works. It's not just like, yeah, go do this virtual event and people are going to show up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the hook rightly said, is the most important thing. And that has to be done. Like when people are signing up for something or deciding whether they'll attend it or not, they have very <laughs> limited information, right? And placing that hook at the right place is the key. <laughs> I think one of the best live events I've done lately is we did website teardowns. And that was amazing because we picked, so you did people that joined didn't know necessarily which websites we're going to go through. We also had time to like call up people and have them show their sites. And so there was a little bit of wow. element of like, if yeah. I show up, this increases my chances of like getting free advice on this website. But yeah. also what happened during the event that was really cool and, and unexpected was like in chat, people yeah. were giving ideas about like how they would write the headline and what they would change. And so like, it was really fun for me as a host because like, yeah. It was like having a live audience for for a podcast or something because like I get like little sidebar comments and like make a funny joke about what somebody said in chat or like this person had a good suggestion or had an answer to something I didn't know. It's like you're able to if you can find a way to like tap into the wisdom of your crowd, especially yeah. when like yeah. everyone there is like often all in the same niche. It's like all marketers <laughs> or all event people or all HR pros. There there might be something to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things that we do uh, is we have event marketers live, right? Which is, which has a pretty good attendance, like hundred plus people always from the event industry come over and we always would put polls there, which will be very timely, right? And which people are always wanting to know, right? Uh, for instance, the simple ones we did initially was in the next six months, are you actually going to invest in hybrid events, right? Everyone keeps on talking about hybrid events, but no one knows whether if their peers are investing in those. Now, what we do is whenever we have, say, there is looming recession, right? We ask a lot of questions about budgets and do you see budget cuts in events and what does that lead to change in strategy and pose these simple questions in polls and then discuss them discuss them, like bring people in on stage, talk about it. And it adds a live component that's impossible to get in recordings. This stuff that we just talked about to me, this is like the biggest, if you're listening to this and you do a ton of webinars today, like one of the biggest things that I see is just the same boring webinar content over and over. Like it's gotta become a, a skill to be able to like come up with this campaign and like, how are we actually gonna get people how are we going to get actually going to get people there? I actually saw something yesterday on on Twitter from Amanda Natividad, who was on this podcast a while ago. She's at Spark Toro, and she basically wrote this killer article about like how to do buyer personas the right way. And in that article was a CTA to go and join them for a live session where they go deep into buyer personas and like go past the article. And she promoted it on LinkedIn and she wrote great copy with it. She gave away the template for free, but that wow. blog post, the blog post drove 900 registrants for the session. 
Now, do you think 900 people signed up because she like knew some like magic about like the right time to post on LinkedIn and like the right way to do it in the blog post? It's like, no, that to me is, that's a perfectly executed like hook and campaign. Like <laughs> ultimately we're gonna do, we wanna do a live session where we dive deep into buyer personas. The way that we're gonna get the right people there is by writing like, a, it was in the article is killer. It's not like a, some like shitty, you know, article on, on Fiverr. It's like in-depth screenshots, graphics, walk through like, so that's gonna attract people who are interested in buyer personas. And they're gonna go to that article and be like, whoa, this is legit. This yeah. article is legit. This person, this is not fluff. They actually know their shit oh, they're doing a live session, I'm gonna sign up. And so I think that's how you gotta bake all this stuff in. If you just pop up randomly and promote your webinar on LinkedIn and that's how you're gonna have 17 registrants and like, and not much to show for it. But like when you bake it into an actual campaign like that, that's when you can actually start to see a better, a bigger impact. Yeah, and I think one thing, DJ, which, which you pointed out rightly is, Webinars were actually done that way predominantly before, right? And webinars were the only actual digital events happening. And they were seen as a medium to just throw content in front of people, right? And so there was no actual difference between doing it on demand and, and our life, right? Now, I think with what COVID has shown and what the technology that was built to fulfill the desires of marketers was that you can actually create an experience, right? And, and do things in the live event that are going to be a lot more impactful because ultimately it's a it's a way people interact with your brand, right? And it's a lot more, I would say, impactful than a user visiting a website, right? I would rate someone actually attending my digital event like 10x more impactful because I have their time attention to engage them and tell them something about my business that will at least give them value and then eventually maybe make them a customer, which is, I think, one thing people have started realizing a lot. And so there's a lot of innovation happening in, in how they place the hook, what they do once people are inside and how they actually then follow up after the event. Talk to me about LinkedIn. You, as, yeah. you as a founder, have, have recently started posting more <laughs> yeah. on LinkedIn. Tell me yeah. about, I want to hear the real truth of the hesitations of doing it and then why it might be valuable. I just, uh, there's a lot of people that listen to this and I, I think more marketers could be helping their founders do a better job with social media. So I'm just curious to hear what you're learning. <laughs> yeah, great, great question, DG. So, so you have to be fascinated by LinkedIn, right? And what it can do to be able to make that jump, right? So we have always or, been or fascinated. Any, or any channel, right? Like if you're just yeah. like, oh, I want to be on TikTok. Well, like, yeah. I'd rather you make come to that assumption because like you're on it personally and like you have yeah. a bunch of accounts that you really like and you have ideas of what you could be posting. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And this was like my fascination was built when in the early days of being at HBS and at that time DC was super active, right? And so I would, I had no idea what conversational marketing is, right? I was just, I just knew ad tech and martech a little bit, but I would always look forward to his post because they will say something that will like get my attention and will be valuable as well, right? So we realized that yes, LinkedIn has become a pretty, pretty great medium. I, I'm not the kind of person who's like, I have a lot of friction that I create for myself and overthink before posting on LinkedIn a lot. So that was the only hump that I had to take over. So now, which sure, by the way, as a, as yes. a person is, is it, is a pro and a con. It's not, not, yes. <laughs> you know, like you also, you're not, you're not going to just turn around and, and post a picture of yourself eating a sandwich and like, <laughs> that's totally okay. <laughs> I know. I know that there, there's definitely a kind of, uh, personality that takes to to excel on LinkedIn. And some marketers are very good at it. And it's a, it's, it is a competitive advantage, right? Being able to be out there on LinkedIn and and like put good content, but also not take yourself too seriously and be okay with 
you know, failing in public, it is a competitive advantage. And what I was doing wrong before was I followed the classic sort of advice of doing it daily, right? Force yourself to do it daily. And I think it was too much for me to digest. And what I ended up was doing it not at all. So now we have taken a more achievable goal of doing it once a week. And Kishore and I discuss what we post about. And I generally have a lot of thoughts, but like condensing that into a LinkedIn post is takes up work. So I'm doing it now. Okay. So I, I just went to your LinkedIn page, by the way, and I, yeah. I haven't seen these lately, but it's funny because like, yeah, the advice is not just like go post daily. And then like, if you just yes. post like quotes, you'll magically yeah. build a following. But like, what I love about what you did is like, you came out of the gate hot with like actual <laughs> things to say. Yes. And I think that's why this is working. So I'm looking at Palash's LinkedIn. You hadn't posted in five months. <laughs> you hadn't posted in five yeah. months. You hadn't posted in five yeah. months. You have two posts. You've posted twice in the last week. One of them has 691 likes and 173 comments. Yeah. And the other one has 407 likes and 77 comments. And like, we can argue about the vanity metrics of that. And that's not my point here. That's not my point here. My point is, yeah. if the average person had not posted on LinkedIn, that these posts would have seven likes and, and no comments. But what you did was you, you understood like what types of things you need to say and you form strong opinions. And so your first post was, you went to HBS, right? Your first yeah. post is do a startup instead of an MBA is one of the most terrible pieces of advice floating around <laughs> for young professionals. And then you yeah. go in to explain why that's a fantastic headline and a fantastic hook. And then uh, just last week, your, your other post was, I envy marketing leaders who make budget decisions like if I put in a dollar, can I get $10 out of it? And then yeah. you you go to explain that. So I think like you're formula, you don't have to post every day, but you're formulating strong opinions. And you know, this is all based on like observations that, that you're having. Yeah. Something might happen yeah. next week at work where you're trying to hire someone and this thing happens. And, and then you have a thought about that later. I think you're doing a, a good job of like being active there, but not doing it with like fluffy vaporware, you know, nonsense. Yeah. Type stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm the most, I'm most scared about having vaporware kind of content. But what I've realized is that I do have a lot of strong opinions about a lot of things. Uh, I just need to, I think, kind of archive them and, and put it in a way where they can be shared. And those are the two things that I think the most about, right? Like, yeah startups right and i always talk to founders okay, about and to, then to, to back to some first principles and like simplifying yeah. things like the way that i do linkedin i do this for linkedin and my newsletter and my community and basically like i have i have a note just like apple notes app on my phone and the note is called newsletter and when i think of something that's an idea for a future newsletter that i want to write i put it in there and that could be like something that i posted on linkedin that got a lot of traction and conversation that's a good topic to put in my newsletter so i just literally copy that link put it in my apple notes and then like on thursday when i go to write my newsletter either I have a fresh idea in my head that I just want to go right now, or I go to the backlog and I find some ideas. And so like that's, I also do that for LinkedIn. I don't, I don't always just post things directly. Like I'll just keep a backlog of, Oh, here's an interesting like perspective I have. I write it down. And then when I go to post something, I go to that. that that's not rocket science, but it's yeah. like <laughs> capturing ideas of things with, like that you have to say in that moment and then being able to go, go back to that list later. And then allowing yourself to like, if you do right now after this podcast, if you have a really specific idea and like, oh, I got an idea for a post and you haven't posted in a while, then like you can go go do that. But I think give your yeah. give yourself a way to like capture some of those ideas and have a backlog makes, makes a, a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think what changed for me was that same thing. I have started what we call a swipe file, right? And I keep a 
a list of ideas and and that's where you know the best ones kind of jump out when we read it later it's like an evolutionary <laughs> yeah i think it's huge yeah you have you have to have a swipe file and i used to like i used to do this at drift with david and and at privy with ben as the marketing person i would see them say things internally on a wiki in slack or whatever and then i would screenshot it and send it to him on the side and i'd be like Psst, this would be a fantastic thing to write on linkedin and so I think like for the marketers out there, you, you can enable your founders, executives or yourself or others, like you're doing so much communicating inside of the company, update emails, wiki posts, Slack messages, whatever. It's just about thinking about like, well, that stuff is probably going to be relevant. If you're a company that, that's selling to event marketers, what you're writing inside of those four walls is probably going to be interesting and relevant to an event marketing person. And so how can you take that out? I just think that that perspective makes it like the blank page problem is not such a big deal because the point of the, like, like why I wrote founder brand was like, why, this stuff is all inside of your company already. Like people want, yeah. people don't have time for the fluff. They want information and expertise, like focused on their niche. And you're literally building yeah. a company in this space. So the best thing yeah. you can do is just start to share some more of that publicly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to wrap up on this is not a not a B2B marketing specific thing, but um I heard you're a big a big reader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love getting book recommendations and so give me and listeners something or tell me what type of stuff you read. Yeah, Niji, I read a lot of uh, popular science history and sometimes science fiction uh as well. Kindle or physical book? I prefer physical, but if not then Kindle. <laughs> and a couple of books that that I read recently and made a big sort of difference in my thinking are actually biographies of two scientists. So there's this book called Codebreaker, which is written by Walter Isaacson about Jennifer Doudna, and she invented CRISPR, and she's one of the most consequential scientists ever, right? And that book about how she went after a problem, which is super daunting, right? And then came out with something which is useful and can become something real. That's the same kind of problem we as CEOs face, right? Where the space is daunting and you've got to you know, chase the dream, be persistent. Do you think I have the intellectual capacity to handle Codebreaker? Absolutely, yeah. It's pretty written in a pretty lay language without dumbing down the science, which is, I think, what Walter Isaacson does really well. What's your opinion? Uh, obviously, you're... You're a smart guy. You had a <laughs> successful job, you know, mechanical engineering before, and then you went to HBS, and now you're a startup founder. Do you ever read business books? <laughs> I do, DG. I do read them, but most business books are actually can be condensed in an article, right? So I think a lot of people read business books because it makes them feel good that I have read this and I feel like I've learned, but they can be condensed in like a two-page article. So I generally avoid them, but some of them I do read. For example, I just recently read Amp It Up by Frank Slootman, right? Who's CEO of Snowflake. Very little book, actually it can be an article if not a book and very to the point. And so those are the kind of business books I like. <laughs> I like that. I think with Founder Brand, like it could have been a blog post also, and I'm not afraid yep. to admit that, but I wanted <laughs> to have a physical, I wanted to have a book and people like that. But we also yep. did... Like the book was over when it was over. It wasn't like, let's stretch this out. And so I love the idea of like Frank Slootman writing a book that was, you know, not hundreds of pages. I think yeah. it's smart. <laughs> when do you read? Is it like part of a, a daily routine or something that you do or just comes up all the time? Like when do you actually get your reading in? It's actually an hour before midnight when my kid is asleep and Slack is calmed down. <laughs> 
an hour before midnight. The problem with yes. me is if I, I read I read two pages on my Kindle and then next thing I know, the Kindle smacks me in the nose and I wake up because I had just <laughs> fallen asleep. <laughs> Actually, falling asleep to a book is probably the best way to fall asleep. So I, I won't Yeah, it's, it's a guaranteed. A couple of weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. we had we had a wedding and we were at a hotel and I lost, for some reason, I had my Kindle in the Uber and I lost my Kindle. <laughs> and I had such a hard time going to sleep that night because I just was laying there with my th- with my thoughts before bed, like as opposed to reading two pages of a book, you know? All right, Palash, this was great. Great to have you. Great to talk a little bit more, a little bit uh, perspective on, on you know, being a B2B SaaS founder and then also like what you're, what you're seeing through Goldcast and event marketers. Everybody can go and check you out, Palash, Sony on LinkedIn, now that you're super famous and viral from, from your, your controversial posts. If you haven't already checked out Goldcast, the Goldcast website is, is goldcast.io. I'll plug it for you so you guys don't have to. It's been a, a pleasure getting to know you guys a little bit better. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll have more to come soon. See you, Palash. Thanks, Dee. Bye-bye. All right, man. Excellent. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles. We've got videos. We've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5.